0: Well, this morning I wanted to talk about um, the presence of God and uh, encountering His presence, the priority of His presence. Um, those of you who come here really know that the presence of God is one of our top three core values, and I would say you know probably the most important of the three, <laughs> you know, it starts with the presence, and then the other two are family and um, empowerment, you know, being activated to impact your world. So. You know, I think as Christians, we all know that spending time with God, having a relationship with Him is important, but it's really easy for us to kind of get stuck in how to actually make that happen, you know, and consistently do that. And I've been a believer my whole life. I got saved when I was three. I don't even remember when I got saved. But, you know, for a very long time, I had a hard time connecting with God on a consistent basis. You know, I remember sitting in my bedroom as a high schooler and just being like, okay, I'm going to pray for five minutes, you know, and it felt like a really long time. It wasn't really until I started dating Mark that God helped me to um, become consistent. Really, he helped me through Mark. You know, and I'll talk some more about um, practical things at the end. Over the last 10 years... And especially the last five, I would say God's really been doing a lot in me and, and impressing upon me the importance of going deep in Him. The reality is that God's presence is everything. It has to be the foundation and the starting place for everything in our lives. God's goal from the very beginning has been intimacy with us. When He created the world, He didn't create a business or even a... I mean, we call it the kingdom of God, but it's not like a top down kingdom, like what we might think of the world's kingdoms. He created a family, you know, he created kids. Adam and Eve were his children. He spent time with them every day. God's kingdom is a family, it's not a corporation. His presence was part of their inheritance in a very real sense, you know, every day they were walking in the garden with God. And then when they sinned, it actually says that they hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God. So there's a very clear connection, you know, they knew, oh, we've sinned, and they ran from his presence. Ever since then, you know, it's the story, the Bible tells a story of God bringing people back to his heart, you know, redeeming his children that that left his heart. And that's the, the great message of the gospel is that we're welcomed back into his presence. That's the core of it. In Revelation 3.20, Jesus said, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in to him and will dine with him and he with me. And we can of course use that as a a salvation message, but he actually said that to people who were already believers. You know, and he was saying, I'm already here. I'm like right outside your door, knock, knock, knock. You know, will you welcome me in? Because my number one desire is to spend time with you, you know, to eat with you. And in that culture, eating together was meant ha- having intimacy. That's what he wants. And um, the, verse, the main verse I'm going to focus on this morning, which has spoken to me a lot about spending time with, with God, is 2 Corinthians 3.18. It says, But we all with unveiled face, beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from glory to glory, just as from the Lord, the Spirit. And that comes at the end of a whole chapter, which I wish I could read the whole chapter to you because it's really amazing. So you can go home and read it later if you want. But in this verse, I see a three-step process of encounter. And I'm going to walk through each of these three things. And then we're going to talk some about some practical things. And number one is, but we all with unveiled face. Just some backstory. What is it? What does... What did Paul mean when he talked about the unveiled face? When the previous verses in the chapter, he talked about how Moses, when he came down from Mount Sinai with the, um, after talking with God, meeting with God face to face, he would put a veil over his face. And he did that because the Israelites couldn't bear to look upon the glory that was like residual on Moses from having been in God's presence. God wanted his people to live in his presence and to have, to be free to interact with him. But they actually chose to have rules of a relationship. You know, when when the people arrived at Mount Sinai, God said to Moses, I want to make you a kingdom of priests. You know, think about that. Like, priests were the people who went in to God's presence. They were the, but he's like, I don't want there to be just priests scattered among you. I want you to be all priests. I want a whole kingdom of people who are meeting with me face to face. And so that was God's heart at Sinai, Mount Sinai. But when he revealed himself, you know, so then he reveals himself in this big cloud and there's like lightning and thunder and and all the people are warned not to touch the mountain or they might die and, you know, all this and, and the big booming voice of God. And the people are like, Moses, you just talk to God. We do not want to see him. We don't want to hear his voice. We're scared of him. It's so interesting because right after, this is all in Exodus 20 in case you want to read it, but... Right after that, Moses said, "Well, God tested your hearts. He did that. He appeared that way to test your hearts. And you know, cause when when they when the Israelites came out of Egypt, out of slavery, God showed them over and over and over His heart for them was good. You know, He protected them. He saved them. He provided manna. And they and when they complained, like He didn't just smite them from the face of the earth. You know, He was patient with them. And yet." when um, he manifested himself in a way that may have felt scary they were just like get away from me You like you scare me instead of trusting the revelation that he had already given them of who he was and so the people chose you know Moses you go have a relationship with God on our behalf and we'll just take the rules so interestingly that was the last time that God spoke audibly in the Old Testament I think the next pretty sure the next time the that there was an the audible voice of God was when, at Jesus' baptism, when he announced, essentially announced the coming of the new covenant. But so you know, God still cared about the Israelites. He gave them the old covenant, which provided for their forgiveness. You know, and there was the atonement sacrifice, where every year you know they brought the atonement lamb, and and God forgave them. And you know, theologians, I think would a lot of them would say that that the Israelites were able to be forgiven, like. It was like forward-looking to Christ's act on the cross, you know. So they received forgiveness, but they didn't have intimacy, and because of that, you know, they rebelled against God over and over and over and over. You know, Moses had to put the veil on his face because the people didn't want to see the glory of God. In Second um, Corinthians three, Paul says that that same veil hardened their hearts. You know, so they didn't want to see him, and because of that, their hearts became hard, and then. They couldn't see him, essentially. And that, that veil became the thing that kept them from recognizing who God really was and his heart toward them. In some of the Old Testament prophets, you know, they talk about the Israelites accusing God of being um, a taskmaster master, or just unloving, you know, um, demanding and things that he's not. I, my point in all this is that God's heart has always been for intimacy mm-hmm. and that it, the Israelites didn't get that. And one of the pictures I love a lot from the old covenant is something called the bread of the presence, which was part of the uh, tabernacle and then also the temple once they built it. And so every Sabbath day, the priests would put 12 loaves on the table of the bread of the presence. And it was symbolic of God's provision and their gratitude because bread was the staple food for most people during that time. Interestingly, When David was fleeing from Saul, and he was hungry, what bread did he eat in the temple? He ate the bread of the presence. Some translations refer to as the show bread, Um, but I like the bread of the presence because that just sounds really cool. And you know, David was a, a forerunner in encountering God's presence, and in bringing people into the presence of God, even though under the in the covenant they were in, they weren't supposed to, you know. But God was very excited about about their eagerness to encounter him. And then when Jesus come came, he said, I am the bread of life. He who comes to me will not hunger, and he who believes in me will never thirst. In John 6, 35. So his presence is literally our sustenance. It's our bread. You know, and so even in the old covenant, God was saying, My presence is what you really need. And so in Christ, who was who is the exact representation of the Father. That veil that keeps people's hearts from seeing who God really is and His heart for us, that veil is removed. And we're able to truly see Him. So that's what it means when it says, we all with unveiled face. We're able to come into His presence and see who He really is and see His love for us. We're able to see Him as a, a good Father, not a judgmental Father. We're able to stop hiding and to come into his presence, even if it feels scary. Because sometimes it is scary to be vulnerable. We're able to stop hiding. And you know, and there, the Bible says so many things about the what we receive in his presence, um, including rest, refreshing, joy, protection, help, favor. We are able to go into his presence with unveiled faces. And then number two, beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord. In the old covenant, the great fear was the loss of the presence of God. You know, Moses said, don't send us out of here if your presence won't go with us. And David said, do not cast me away from your presence and do not take your Holy Spirit from me. And Isaiah said, oh, that you would rend the heavens and come down, but I have good news. He already did. (laughs) He already rend the heavens, rent the heavens and came down. His presence is with us and in us now. So we don't ever have to pray like, God, come, like, don't, don't send me out of your presence. Um, we now have continuous access to his presence as part of our inheritance. We don't have to earn that right. You know, no matter what we do, we can make super big mistake. And he's still like, I'm here. You know, my arms are open. We are (laughs) pre-forgiven. We just need to go and repent. We don't need to pray for his presence because um, as Colossians one twenty seven says, Christ in us is the hope of glory. You know, what's so incredible about this verse is that, you know, Paul said that we, we don't just behold the glory of the Lord, but we behold it as in a mirror. You know what that I mean, like, what do you see when you look in the mirror? See yourself. The point is, you know, Christ is living with us, and we're able to behold Him within us. That's not that we were, I mean, I'm not being weird and we don't worship ourselves, but the Holy Spirit lives within us and um, there's a very real way in which we can commune with Him all the time because He is present within us. I don't really have language for how to explain that, but I know it's true. (laughs) In 2 Corinthians 4, 6, in the, the very next chapter, Paul said, For God who said, Light shall shine out of darkness is the one who has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Christ. God, the God who created light, you know, it was dark and He spoke light. That same God released light into our hearts, enabling us to have the knowledge of His glory, which is demonstrated in the face of Christ. And you know the word for knowledge there means like experiential knowledge. We. Are unable, we are able to encounter the glory of God in a very tangible sense. I was thinking about how to explain this because my desire is for all of you to have a very deep relationship with God. But I think there's a way in, in which we can, in any situation, any, you know, all the time, wherever we are, whatever's going on around us, that we can step into an awareness of God's presence with us. And that that's his desire for us, that we can live continually live from the presence of God. You know, like Brother Lawrence talked about practicing the presence of God. But that, like, I can be in the midst of a super stressful situation and just be like, okay, I'm gonna just like step in, just like whoo, step into the presence, and it's that easy because he's with us, and all we have to do is look inward to where the Holy Spirit dwells in our hearts, become aware that he is already in us. And I just have to add a disclaimer because some people have weird theology, but <laughs> the fact that we are one with God doesn't mean that we become God. Mark and I are married and so we're there for one but we're still two unique people, you know. So I just want to put that out there because some people do get weird about that. We're not worshiping ourselves. <laughs> Here's the process. Step one, w- with unveiled faces we behold Number two, we behold as in a mirror the glory of the Lord. Not only are we able to see him for who he really is, but he is in us all the time. And then that leads us to step three, which is uh, we are being transformed into the same image, into God's image, from glory to glory. This is what, how we grow up. This is how we become mature believers, being by being transformed in his presence. In Romans twelve two, it says that we're transformed by the renewing of our minds. Well, what renews our minds? It's not our minds. It's the Holy Spirit. Encounters take us deeper than our minds can go. Encounters change us in a way that just intellectual understanding can't. And I'm not against intellectual understanding. I think it's super important. But we have to value both. Encountering the presence of God changes us. In a tangible way, um, Psalm thirty four five, this is one of my favorite verses. It says, "They looked to him and were radiant." You know, we take on his glory as we behold him. Not, not glory in like a, I'm going to be famous, and uh, sense, but we take on part of who he is. We become like him. This is so important because. Every passion in our lives has to be undergirded and informed by God's presence. For example, I'm really passionate about writing. I I just really am. Someday I would like to get my masters in creative writing. I would like to write poetry and have it published in journals. You know, so that's an intellectual passion that I have. I'm also passionate about adopting kids and that's also I mean that's more emotional also intellectual, but if I pursue those things apart from encounters with the presence of God, they will only rise to the standard of my human ability and they and they'll be um, driven by maybe not as godly desires you know, but if I am encountering god's presence first and from that place, trusting him to help me pursue those passions, I think that makes all the difference. I'm trying to think how to say this because our our thinking, our minds are not bad, but they always need to be submitted to the Spirit. It's so easy to get stuck in what makes sense and what, you know, the reasoning of the world. But God's ways, His thinking is higher, so we need to be informed by His, His mindset. So for me, practically, I wanted to spend time with God consistently, but I had a hard time really implementing it in my life. So he's like, you know, I had to get up at, I think, at 5.30 every morning to be at work at that time in my life. He's like, well, here's how you start. When, you, when your alarm get, goes off in the morning, sit up on the side of your bed and pray in tongues for five minutes before you go get in the shower. And so, like, that's what I did. I just started doing that every morning. And But the amazing thing about that is that it increased my hunger and changed my priorities so that I was then able to find more time, because what we prioritize, we have time for. Um, so then, when we were um, getting ready to get married, we felt like God spoke to us that we should spend an hour a day with Him together, like in the same room. So we began doing that after we got married, and that was, you know, that was really challenging on a lot of levels for our relationship, being two different people who just got married and. Um, we grew a lot through it, but we also were able to hold each other accountable in cultivating that discipline, that habit of spending time with God every day, um, regardless of what was going on. And So we, st- we don't still do it in the same room, but we do still both spend at least an hour a day with God. Um, and I can just say from personal experience that there's nothing that's more rewarding than spending time with God. And it's not always like fireworks, you know. Sometimes it's just like, I'm here, and I'm being faithful, you know. And But God loves that. He just wants to know us. He wants, like, think about when you're, you know, for those of you who are married, or even if you want to be in the future, you know, when, when you're married, you spend enough time with your spouse that it's not like every moment is like fireworks, you know. There's something, but... Like that, like fireworks relationship is actually really shallow. And so the deeper relationship comes as we learn to like just sit together in silence. And, you know, be together and do things together. And there's so many facets of a relationship. And it's true with God too. Sometimes there's fireworks and sometimes there's not. And that's okay. Sometimes there's just like, hey God, this is how I feel about my life right now. And just talking. And he's a really great listener. Um, so, I would encourage you to, uh, if you don't already, to set aside a time and a place by faith um, to meet with God and trust that He will help you uh, to do that. Grace is God's divine empowerment in our lives, you know, to help us do the right thing. And there is grace for getting up early or for staying up late or whatever the, the time is in your life that works for you. Um, and God will meet you there. It's a unique um, sacrifice of praise that we have to give him. Just even the sacrifice of sleep. You know, we have four kids, so they, I've had many nights of not very much sleep. And it would have been super easy to just not get up until they got up. But um, actually, right after our oldest was born, Mark gave me a book, I think by a woman named Catherine Brown. I think that was her name. but talked about her prayer journey, and what amazed me, the only thing I remember really from this book was that she had a newborn at the time that she was writing it was like a journal, like a 40day fast that she did and so like her baby would wake up at like three or four in the morning and nurse and she was like, and I would just stay up and spend time with God until six or seven or whatever, and I was like, "What? <laughs> like how do you even have like the ability?" Mentally to do that, but it really challenged me and provoked me like that's possible. It's possible to do that even as a mom Even you know sleep-deprived and so that that was huge for me and then one time when Evan was uh, I think nine months he had started sleeping through the night and then all of a sudden would wake up at 4 a.m every morning screaming and would not go back to sleep. Like if I fed him, he was just wide awake. And I was like, what is going on? Like it was so not normal. And then a couple nights in, I just had this revelation that it was an invitation, that God was inviting us to get up, which I was like, I don't really wanna do that. (laughs) But the amazing thing is that when we started getting up at four, immediately Evan started sleeping again so he did not like the next morning like we got up at four and he did not he was just out so we did that for like a month and it was really hard it was like three hours in every morning and we're like so tired we have two little kids you know plus other things in life and but it was really really uh important time for us because shortly after that we experienced our first major betrayal as a married couple you know Though we had some close friends who really turned on us and and um, I really believe that our extra time with God prepared us even though we had no idea we' were like we don't know why we're doing this like what? Um and so i I'm just sharing these things I think to stir your faith that um, God has amazing things for you and that he wants <clears throat> he wants to take you deep in him and you can think of the most amazing person you've ever heard of in history, you know, like Sadhu Sundar or Smith Wigglesworth or whoever. One of those crazy, amazing people. Um, they're not special. Like, what they experienced with God is available to all of us. Okay. You know, they're not like some special superstar Christian because we're all priests before God, you know. I think a lot of it comes down to Self-control, which is a fruit of the Spirit, not a gift of the Spirit. (laughs) In other words, we have to practice it. I mean, I guess you have to practice the gifts too, but it's different. We have to work at it. So I think, you know, there's a lot of ways you can learn self-control. You can, like, go work out at the gym or, you know, whatever, practice all kinds of other things. But learning self-control by spending time with God seems like the most amazing way to learn it to me. Because the reward is pretty amazing. So I just want to pray and declare over all of you, Ephesians 1, 17, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give to you a spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of him. God, I thank you for every person in this room, every person who will listen to the recording. I just bless them to go deeper in you. And God, I ask that you would help them to make the hard choices um, and reap the amazing payoff in intimacy with you. Thank you, Lord. Amen. Amen.